A guide for the lost and found from the sermon series Upside Down, spoken by Pastor Doug Cho. I'm gonna. Um, some of you are wondering why I'm wearing my mask. Uh, Today is our family service, so we have uh, a bunch of our youth group here, and I, I'd like to interview some of them. I have some things I'm gonna give out in exchange because they never answer questions without like bribe. So I have, um, you can't, th- these are no longer made. Um, they're hard to find, and they are worth money. So this sermon is costing me money. Um, but can I get a volunteer, to, uh, a youth volunteer in our youth group to answer a question? And the question is just, what is something that you're exceptionally good at? What is something you're exceptionally good at? Do we have a volunteer to answer that question? Raise your hand high and proud. If, you, if you're not going to volunteer, I'm just going to call you. So, yeah, you know. Oh, oh, thank you. Oh, my God. I'm so encouraged right now. What's your name? Lewis. Lewis. Oh, Lewis. Sorry, it's the mask. He grew up too. Oh, my God. Lewis, what's something you're exceptionally good at? Uh, improvising, but like pro- with problem solving. Ooh, like a mathematician? No. No. Okay. Well, thank you. Here is your prize. There you go. Thank you. Anyone else? One more. I got one more. One more. One more. I'll save you. Over there. Yeah, yeah, you, you. you don't, no, I'm looking at you. Yeah, you. Of course I'm going to call you. Come here, stand up. Oh, my God, sit down. You're taller than me. No, okay, 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 okay. What's your name? Matthew. Matthew. What, what's one thing you're exceptionally good at? Procrastinating. Do I reward that? Yes, I do. Here you go, here you go. Uh, for, for those who are curious what I gave them, uh, I just gave them like a, a half dollar coin. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this sermon cost me $2, um, because <coughs> I, I had two, uh, this morning. Um, yeah, as you can kind of see, it's really hard to get people to, to talk or to answer questions, right? But the question was, what's something that you're good at, right? Let alone, like, what if I asked, what's something, you, like, you failed at? Right? How, how much harder do you think it would be to find somebody? And... You know, last week, Pastor Shirley, she kicked off our sermon series, uh, The Upside Down Kingdom. And the question that we're answering is, who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? Because this idea of greatness is something that we, we always look towards. Us as a, as, as, as a people, as humankind, we love greatness. And it, 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 I think it's so funny that the disciples in the beginning of chapter 18, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? There's, there's a, a, another passage where the disciples are arguing who's the greatest. Greatness is desired. And in this fourth discourse uh, of the book of Matthew, um, we look at what does life together in this community look like? And Matthew's really intentional here. He opens up with this question, who is the greatest? And what Jesus does is so profound. He takes a child, right? He takes a child and he shows them this child. But he doesn't answer the question directly. He doesn't say, you're great if you're like this child. He says, you don't even get in. You don't even get into the kingdom unless you're like this child. 
That's his response. You don't even get in unless you're like this child. And Pastor Shirley's call, because last week was um, our Special Needs Sunday. I love Special Needs Sunday because we're, we're really intentional about our special needs community. We, we love to highlight them and just really learn from them. It's to empty ourselves of self-importance. It's to humble ourselves, depend on God, trust in the Heavenly Father, look for kingdom greatness in those things. You know what I loved? What I saw? I'm sure you heard it when um, Matthias and Anastasia were giving their testimony and we were whooping and we were, we were clapping up. Their, their brother Caleb, he's differentially abled and he was cheering for him. Did you hear that? That moved me. That should move you. That's, that's incredible. That is incredible. Kingdom greatness is different from worldly greatness. Some signs of it? I can give you two. If you don't think you can learn from someone who's younger than you, you might have some work to do. Just a little bit. If you can learn from Embrace being in community with someone who is differentially abled, you're probably on the right track. Then Jesus focuses shift to the young in their faith. The young in their faith. He calls us to receive these vulnerable ones. Welcome the ones who cannot help or um, improve or, you know, Embellish us in, in any ulterior motive whatsoever. Just newbies. He calls us to welcome them, to take care of them, to treat them. And he gives us a warning against those who causes these new to stumble. It's a death sentence. It's like hanging a millstone around your neck and being thrown into the sea. In this kingdom, those who are unconcerned with greatness are on their way to greatness. Those who are unconcerned with greatness are on their way to greatness. So if last week was about passing into the kingdom of God, this week is about protecting the kingdom of God. And next week will be something about perpetuating the kingdom of God, as Pastor Peter preaches next week. So today, protecting the kingdom or community of God, the question we're looking at is how? How do I protect? How do I protect the community of God? Two things. Two things we're going to look at. The first is to remember God's heart for protection. Remember his heart for protection. And the second is to emulate Jesus' example for protection. Remember his heart. Emulate his example. Pretty straightforward. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for the testimony of baptism that we got to hear today. Lord, it's not our work. And I love what Pastor Ajay said. It's not anything he did. It's not anything we did, but it's something you invited us into. The work that you did in their souls. We celebrate that work, God. That we get to look upon, witness, and see the fruit of your glory, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to be able to see that as we take care of these new, new people in our community, God. These new brothers and sisters that that would be truly something that we, we take to our heart. That our celebration would not just be a one-day applause, God, but every day we would encourage them to run this race. So, Lord, would you speak today? Give us a word. Would you speak? Only you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're looking at Matthew 18.
verse 10 to 20. Matthew 18, verse 10 to 20. The parable of the wandering sheep. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you, their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep, one of them wanders away. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one than the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree with anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. That's the word of God for us. Our focus right now, right in this point, the children. Jesus is focused on the children. And now we're not talking about physical children here, right? We're talking about p- people who are new to faith. They're new to faith. So we need to relinquish this concept or idea that just because you're old, doesn't mean you're far along in your faith. We need to give up this idea that age has anything to do with that in actuality. There are some youth in our church, some young ones, who have been running the race long and hard, who are quite far along in their faith. And they may be further along, ahead of some old-timer Christians who are dragging their feet. But regarding new followers, new believers, Jesus brings up the idea of angels. Angels. Verse 10. Let's look at verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. If you notice, they've skipped verse 11. But in some manuscripts, this is verse 11. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. See, in Judaism, the belief was that angels were assigned tasks. Like there are specific tasks for angels. Like there's an angel that was tasked to watch over Israel. So Jesus, he takes this idea and he applies it to new believers. And he said, these angels are the ones that behold the face of the Father. These angels. So think about it. The angels that behold the face of the Father are the ones that look at God. They're the ones that see God. They're the ones that are close to God. They are the important ones. They are the high-ranking angels. These angels are the ones that are assigned to new believers. The new believers are the VIP of the kingdom. These angels, specifically these ones, are for new believers. See, this is God's heart for his people. A deep desire to see that they're taken care of. A deep desire to see that they're taken care of. And then he goes into the parable of the sheep, right? Um, Many of you know this parable. God is the shepherd. We are the sheep. The shepherd has a hundred sheep. And then one of these sheep, they wander off. So God, the shepherd, leaves the 99 sheep and he goes to find the one that had wandered. And you know, many have preached in the past that sheep aren't quite the smartest animals. Right? 
We've heard that before. Sheep aren't quite the smartest animals. And they get a bad rap because they're, you know, maybe it's because they're caught on video a lot not doing the smartest things. But the thing is, is that people don't do the smartest things either. If you hear me, if you track with me, people don't do the smartest things either. We get caught not doing the smartest things all the time, right? I mean, think about it. Um, sheep get a bad rap because when a sheep falls over, it can't get up. And you look at that and you're like, oh my gosh, you can't even get up. Like, what's wrong with you, right? But the thing about sheep is, and something I learned this past week, is they don't have knees. So they can't get up. It's just like, you know, cut me some slack. I, I physically cannot get up, right? They, they, it's not like they choose to stay down there. However, people, I know some people that have chosen to fall and not be able to get up. You know, uh, back in college, um, I liked to go to a party here and there, right? And it's not a good party unless there's a dance battle. It's not a good party unless there's a dance battle. And I, I knew one such friend, um, uh, an acquaintance of mine, he was from Russia, and his name was Jay. And Jay was a self-proclaimed professional breakdancer. Self-proclaimed professional breakdancer. And, you know, I guess he thought that he could, you know, fake it till he makes it type of deal. But, you know, he, he was the guy that when we were at these parties, he was, get out the way, get out the way, get out, oh, all right, let's go, right? That, that was Jay. Get out the way, because Jay, he's coming into the cipher, right? And so we're just watching, and Jay's doing his thing, right? And we're like, oh, Jay, yeah, yeah, Jay, go, go, Jay, go, Jay. Right? And he's dance battling this, this some guy who's really top heavy, right? And he looks really awkward. And like the, the awkward guy is just like doing his thing. And we're like, oh, Jay, like Jay's winning. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah. But he did not realize that this top heavy, awkward looking person was on the University of Illinois gymnastics team. It's a D1 school, D1 gymnastics team. And so Jay's doing his thing and he's making fun of this guy. And the guy comes out and he just does a backflip. Boom, backflip. And everyone's like, oh my God, he did a backflip. Right? It's like, it's like the craziest thing. Oh, Jay, he did a backflip. What are you going to do? Jay looks at us. He goes, and I was like, he's going to try to do a backflip. Jay, you know you can't do a backflip. He's like, I have to do a backflip now. And so he's, he jumps. He tries to do this backflip. He actually overturns his backflip. He lands on his jaw. Brother can't get up. Who looks sillier now, the sheep or Jay? We choose things sometimes. We choose ways not to be, get, not to be able to get up. All this to say, I don't think the hill we're called to die on is to pick on whether the IQ of a sheep is over 80 or not. But I like to believe that Jesus, in his divinity, in his godliness, understood what God created and that he understood it very well. And I think it fits this parable better when you take it from this angle because sheep are very intelligent creatures. Sheep remember their shepherd. They know who their shepherd is. In actuality, sheep are able to remember around 50 faces of sheep, of other sheep. They can distinguish each other. So when we see a sheep wander in this parable, this sheep doesn't just blink and it's like, oh my God, where am I? Right? This sheep chooses to wander. 
This sheep has chosen to be away from the flock. Sounds more like us now, doesn't it? And then now this shepherd leaves the 99 for this one sheep that has chosen. And then we read the text. The text says, if this shepherd finds the sheep. Not when he finds the sheep. If he finds the sheep. Now track with me. I don't see any scenario where Jesus brings up of a scenario where God, where God is like, I'm unable to do something, right? God can do all things. God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipotent and omniscient, right? All-knowing, all-powerful. He can do all things. So this means that being found is contingent. It's found on, its onus is on the sheep to be found. Only if you will let him find you is what I'm getting at. If the sheep is found, if he finds the sheep, then what happens? There's joy. Overwhelming joy. It says more joy than being with the 99. More joy being reunited together. More joy. The immensity of that. That God can clearly say it here. It's more. Because I found my one. Is that you today? Is that you today? It's kind of backwards, right? But that's God. God's heart for those who stray. God's heart for those who haven't been around. Maybe you feel empty. Maybe you feel nothing when you pray. Hopeless. How many of us feel like, you know, it's so beautiful out, like the weather's great, but there's just nothing for you during the day. Tomorrow, eh, there's nothing to look forward to. God sees you. God hears you. And if you want, God will find you. When I was in middle school, you know, I, I did so many dumb things. I did, I, I feel like I, I went through this period where I can like clearly, I see this, this pattern, right? If, when I reflect on my life, it had to start in middle, it started in middle school somewhere. And it's just because like, I didn't like who I was. You know, and, you know, if you've heard me preach before, I, I, I've said this a long time, this was like a big narrative in my life, right? I just didn't like who I was until my mid-20s. No joy in it. So I lied. I, I was like a pathological liar. I needed to embellish who I was so that maybe people would think like, there's something of value there. I was lost. And I needed God to find me. I needed God to find me and tell me, you know, you can, you can take off a mask. It's okay. You don't have to hide behind anything. That's okay. I found you. And it wasn't fear being found. It was joy. It wasn't punishment waiting for me. It was an embrace. See, this parable, it points to repentance and restoration. 
repentance, and restoration. And that's why we as a community, because Matthew is all about taking Jesus' ministry and being an extension of Jesus' ministry. We're called to be an extension of that, right? His hands, his feet, literally. And what Jesus is saying is, don't look down on the people that walk away from faith. Don't look down on the people that, you know, sometimes they leave, sometimes they come back. Sometimes they wander. But Jesus says, he says, welcome them home. Welcome them home. And then we go to our second point. Second point, emulate his example for protection. Emulate the example for protection. So our second piece is a little interesting because Jesus actually gives us application. We're taking a bunch of things that we've been talking about and Jesus takes it, he gives us application. So my job is much easier. Emulating Jesus' example here. What we see, there's some conflict. Someone is sinning. So this is not someone has sinned against you. This is just someone's not living their best life. They're being a little crazy. They are wandering. Jesus says, call them out. If you're in the community together, call them out. Just between the two of you. Don't do it in public. That's weird. No. Uh, it's so that you don't shame them or humiliate them. Right? Do it in private. And then, if they don't hear you, well, if they do hear you, you've won them over, is what he says. You've won them over. You've won them over back. If they don't listen to you, bring on a witness or two. Bring on a witness. And then that way, you know, um, you know practically, you get the story straight. You have objective opinion. The, the, the truth is somewhere there in the middle unless someone's totally lying. Bring on a witness. And if they still don't listen, now you tell your church. And this isn't to condemn them. This is just to report what is happening. Tell the church. Tell the church. And if they still don't listen to the church, then Jesus says, treat them as pagans or tax collectors. Basically, treat them like people who are outside of your community. So it's a little strange. It's strange to see these two texts together, right? Because we have this, like, this chasing the 99, I mean, chasing the one, leaving the 99, and, like, you know, being overjoyed and welcoming this person home. And then we jump into this, this text where it's like, if they don't listen, treat them like a pagan. Sounds pretty harsh, right? But these texts, they're, they're together. They're about the same context. They work together. And this is what we see here, right? Yes, you are looking out for them. When you call them out, you are being your brother and sister's keeper. Because you do not want them to be steeped in a sinful lifestyle of destruction, of falsehood. You don't want that for anyone. So you want to protect them. If they don't listen to you, what can you do? It's, can't, it's not like you can strong arm them every day. You can't helicopter over them and force them to live a certain way. When he says treat them as a pagan or a tax collector, he's saying release them. They are choosing not to be part of the community anymore. Release them. They won't listen. You cannot do anything else. It's not about pushing them out. It's about releasing. See, the essence of this example is not, oh, obey. That's not how that works. The essence of this example is beyond conflict. Even though conflict sucks. It's beyond conflict. It's about loving people in truth. It's about caring for people 
in truth and loving them, having hard conversations with them in that way. You know, I met a pastor a long time ago in Korea. And we, we were just talking. And she told, she, I have no idea how we got to this conversation. But she said to me, you know what the best thing a pastor ever did for me was? I said, what? She said, you know, I was living like a crazy life. I was gossiping a lot. Like I couldn't stop. I was getting into a lot of fights with people. The best thing a pastor ever did for me was kick me out of their church. Just told me, you're not welcome here anymore. I was like, really? She said, yeah. How? Why? She said, it made me have to face myself and see what I was doing. Yes, granted, when she left, she cussed him out. She made a scene. She was really violent, and she talked badly about him, right? Happened. But over time, she saw herself. And eventually, God found her. So for us, when this happens, our heart is not, oh, they're gone, thank God. That's not, that's not how this works. Our heart is to pray for them when they're not with us and to welcome them home and rejoice when they're restored. That is the community God wants to keep. That is how we protect our brothers and sisters. They may leave, but when they come back, it's not, oh, what are you doing here? It's, it's so good to see you. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for being here. I hope that you feel that today. You know, God gives us this word because as a people, we have a tendency to show disdain towards things that cause us trouble. And we have a tendency to look down on those who kind of fail or fall behind. I mean, if you think about it, excellence is such an idol in our culture. Man, excellence is lucrative. Excellence is attractive. Excellence is inspiring. You know, how many people, how many of us follow people on Instagram because they're excellent at what they do? Right? Even like like weight loss journeys, right? Man, like those are crazy. They're so inspiring, the hard work that they put in. Who follows someone who's failed at their journey? Who quit their journey? Do you follow that? Who follows someone who started a business that failed? We follow entrepreneurs all the time. Millionaires. Oh, this is how you make this money, blah, blah, blah. We don't follow the failures. The people that haven't made it. Those aren't the people with millions of followers. Being excellent is something that people aspire to. People want it. Our culture tells us to grab it. Timing. Being on time. And I'm not talking about like being punctual. Right? Being on time is something that in, in our lives, well, like when it comes to like phases of our lives, that's something that we talk about all the time. Singles struggle with timing so much. And when I say single, I'm talking about ages 20 to 60. I have this conversation all the time. I, I don't know why I'm not there yet. I feel like I'm so behind. I had this conversation with someone in their 60s. I feel like I'm so behind. What? What are you behind? I feel like I'm so behind. 
I don't know what major to pick. I don't know what career to choose. I haven't graduated yet. What am I doing? I want to switch. I don't like where I am in my career. This is something I hear from a lot of people in their late 30s, 40s. I don't like where I am in my career. I should be somewhere else in my career. Why am I not married? How come I don't have children? Why are they married? Why do they have children? But who made this timeline? Who made this timeline that we pressure ourselves into, that we force ourselves to follow? And then there's anxiety. Anxiety in our lives. What am I doing with my life? Why, why are things not going my way? What is going on? Excellence, timing, progress. They're idols. And we show disdain even towards ourselves for those things. This is our family service, so I, wa I want to leave you with this. Um, over six years ago, I was put in charge of the junior high school ministry here at Metro. Right? Um, a lot of what I wanted to do was to embody what our church stood for and bring it to our kids, which was like honest conversation, transparent conversations about who we are. Right? Um, a couple of our kids here, uh, they, they had me, and like, that's why I kind of like picked on them. But, um, you know, like a lot of the conversation we had was marked with uh, like stories about me like not fitting in, being bullied, lying, feeling anxious, connecting with new group of people, et cetera, et cetera. And this kind of became like a little problematic because our kids are a little sassy. And so one day, one of the kids went, Pastor Doug, what are you good at? And I was like, oh my goodness, I've spoken too much, right? But it was fine. And, you know, we, we really connected on that level because, you know, it, 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 it was just good hearing what they had to say. And as I was talking to our kids, I learned very quickly that our children, our children, are taught at a very young age to have disdain towards failure and being known as someone who's failed. And this is taught by our parents. And I'm not saying, parents, that what you're doing is you're, you're sitting your kid down and be like, you must never fail again. Right? You're not doing that. But the thing is, is the strive towards excellence is such like an endless march. Right? We send them to so many programs, so many after-school things, and all these different things. We strive for excellence so much that failure stops really being an option. I mean, let's be honest. Losing kind of sucks. It doesn't feel good. Winning feels good. Winning is easy to celebrate. But you know what Jesus says about failure? You know what Jesus says about being left behind? Jesus identifies himself as a shepherd in this parable. Track with me. Many of us know that Israel was a nomadic culture, right? Like, oh yeah, like there were shepherds there. And, you know, we knew that they were hurting folks. You know, we, we, we know all these things. We see the images. We see the paintings, et cetera, et cetera. But at this moment in time, I'm not talking about today. At the moment in time in the text, when Jesus is speaking, when Matthew is writing this text, Israel had given that up. In their culture, in actuality, they were over being shepherds. They were no longer nomads. And shepherds were looked down upon. 
Shepherds were a thing of the past. They weren't looked at favorably. They were lower class citizens. But Christ identifies himself as a shepherd. An occupation that was left behind and was dated. He identifies himself with something that can understand wandering people. Lost people. Because he really does know what it's like to be in your shoes. I know sometimes it feels like no one gets what you're going through. I've been there. But God's promise in his word is he really does. And parents, if you want to be a shepherd today, share your failure with your kids. Share your failures with your kids. Give them an opportunity to do that too. Share them. I promise you'll bond together. Let's pray together. If you are someone that, that just doesn't feel right, I can't even put words to it, but if you just don't feel right, if this sentence identifies with you, God, I don't like where I am right now. I want you to pray that. God, I don't like where I am right now. Will you find me? I promise you, he will respond. Scripture guarantees it actually. And the Holy Spirit is something he promises to you, to minister to you, to speak to you. I hope that you have someone that you can talk to about it with. First and foremost, I hope that you can really give that to God because he wants to know and he wants to hear it from you. So, Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters to you today. And, you know, I just, I can't help but get the sense that um, some of us are not happy with our relationships. Some of us are not happy with our relationships right now. God, we lift that up to you. 
Would you guard them, protect them? Raise someone up to speak truth into them. Fill them with your spirit. Encourage them. And as a community, I just pray, God, that we would embody your heart. Would you convict us, Lord? If anything, Lord, you know, one of my prayers for this church is that we would be the most welcoming church, that that's what we would be known for. That all the lost would feel like they have a home to come to. So would you help us to be that church, God? Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We do have some next steps. Just going to run through them real quick. The first is, I have heard from Jesus for the very first time, and I want to respond to him. Kind of what we mentioned before, this is the best news. This is news that leads to our baptism celebration. If this is you, or if this is something that you even like have questions about, check off that box. Go outside the doors uh, towards the entrance. Talk to one of us, please. We want to talk to you about this. The second is, I feel lost and I would like to speak up to a pastor about it. Uh, we have a lot of pastors on staff who would be more than happy to just chat with you. We might not have answers, but there's something good about just bringing someone in to your situation. So I hope that you can take that step courageously. The third is, there is someone in my life that I have conflict with, and I would like advice on how to deal with it well. Uh, I did this first service, but I'm going to do it again. Uh, we're going to refer you to our Pastor Clay because he's really good at conflict resolution. And conflict stinks, right? It causes a lot of anxiety, but he's really good at it. And it'll be his joy to walk you through with it. I promise you. I promise you. The fourth is I will join a small group this semester. Uh, small groups are starting. Registration will be up. Um, you know, uh, Pastor Shirley mentioned there is a, a justice conference coming up. Pastor Sunita is putting together a justice curriculum for our church. And that's what we're going to be studying together. But more than anything, we as a community need to get, come together. We can't do it without you. Come register. Come be a part of it. We'd love to have you. And the fifth is, I will read Matthew 18, 21 to 35 in preparation for next Sunday. Pastor Peter is going to speak a powerful word for us. 